Welcome to the Rooted in Change podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Jan and you're listening to the Rooted in Change podcast. This show features European clean tech champions and their solutions to tackle the climate crisis. Today I'm joined by Miriam, the head of commercial at SimPower. SimPower uses the flexibility of electric assets. Those assets can be used in industrial applications such as steel smelting, but include also solar panels and electric vehicles. When energy supply and demand are out of sync, SimPower temporarily adjusts the power of machines and processes. And we'll learn more about this in just a second. Welcome, Miriam. Thanks, Jan. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. As with all other guests, why don't we start with you telling me a bit about your background? Who are you? All right. So, you know, uh, I started a long time ago as a consultant, mm -hmm. defining strategies and running international projects. And that was really exciting times. And I ended up working in 18 different countries. Wow, that's uh, a lot. That's really a lot, right? Uh, and I served countless uh, customers, especially in the energy and the manufacturing sector. And I learned a lot during that time, especially, uh, you know, working with different cultures, but also building my network. And on top of that, I could... Really and I guess understanding also the local markets, right? Because they're quite different. Yes, that's a good one. Yes, definitely. Every market is different, especially in energy. Um, and, you know, what was really nice back then is that I could combine my passion for surfing and traveling with work. Um, and after being a consultant for a while, I worked for a really nice uh, Danish company. Uh, mm -hmm. They produce wind turbine blades. And I was heading the strategy department. And in that time when I worked there, we realized a massive growth in five years. And it just felt really good that every time you produce a wind turbine blade or sell more, that you uh, sell more clean energy. Right. Uh, yeah. And personally, I really love nature, uh, background skiing and snowboarding and surfing. Uh, and whenever I enjoy nature and see garbage, for example, in the ocean or glaciers that are shrinking, I really uh, know that I want to contribute to a fossil fuel world. And that's also why I decided to join SimPower. Right. What, a, what an interesting background. Sort of, uh, yeah, it seems like you've seen it all, both sort of on the sports sides, but also on the professional side. So when it comes to skiing and surfing, as well as then understanding and knowing the different energy markets. And as you just mentioned, SimPower, um, maybe tell us a bit more about your role and what SimPower does as well. I think it'd be interesting. Yes. So I'm um, heading uh, SimPower sales, uh, business development and marketing activities throughout Europe. Uh, SimPower uh, is, a, is a company with uh, more than 140 people. And this team is like 25 people. And we are active in 12 countries. And um, so what commercial does is uh, we're opening new countries and we're growing with partners or customers. And we are raising a lot of awareness for flexibility. Uh, now to your second question, what SimPower does, maybe it's good to explain a little bit more what we are trying to fix. Uh, yeah, maybe that's a good starting point. What's the problem that you're tackling? Exactly, exactly. So the reason why SimPower, so to say, started is that, well, back in the days when the energy system was mainly based on fossil fuels, uh, you could balance the production of energy or electricity quite easy with the consumption. And although renewables are fantastic uh, uh, source of energy, they come with some problems. 
So uh, the wind doesn't always blow, of course, and the sun doesn't always shine. Very logical, right? Uh, now, what does that mean for the grid? Um, for the grid, it means that a grid operator at all times needs to balance the grid at 50 hertz here in Europe. And uh, uh, the grid operator has certain mechanisms to do so. Well, there is where flexibility kicks in. You know, back in the days when we had a lot of coal plants, uh, gas fire plants, uh, there you could really uh, tune up and down the generation of electricity easily. And now there's more need to tune down or up when needed the demand side. Uh, based on the on the production of wind and solar, right? And is that in a nutshell what flexibility is to sort of have that ability to meet either more demand or balance demand and supply ultimately? Yes, exactly. That's what flexibility means. Yes, yeah. Now, on your second question, what SimPower does is that SimPower actually helps industrial and commercial customers to identify that flexibility and unlock that flexibility. So um, we are so-called an independent aggregator. That means we identify those assets at a single uh, customer, and then we mm -hmm. put it in a big portfolio uh, and then participate in those markets from the grid operator and monetize it for our customers. Right. Well, I was going to ask, uh, how does that work in practice to so say I'm a... I, I'm smelting steel. That's, uh, I think, one of the examples that I gave earlier. How yeah. does that work in practice? So I guess your team would come to my production plan and look at the uh, portfolio of machines that I would have to identify what could run with lower electricity needs. Um, and then I think there would be uh, would have to be some sort of control a signal from your side as well. So maybe you can go into the technical side of it, <laughs> how that actually works into practice. Yes, sort of on a top level can... basis, not too yeah, much. Yeah, well, you sound like an expert, Jan. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, indeed. So um, uh, when we go to our customers, we basically ask them a few basic questions like, can you uh, turn on your machine uh, quicker or right. can we turn off your machine without interrupting your primary process? Um, if that answer is yes, uh, we can do that, then there is a first hint that there is flexibility. Now, what we do then uh, next is that uh, we, you know, without bothering you with all the technical details, but we look at how big is that flexibility. So let's say we, uh, we find a um, furnace, and we say, well, what what if we uh, shut down the furnace? Uh, what is your electric electrical consumption going down with how many kilowatts or megawatts? And mm -hmm. that's then the flexibility. And then what we do then is then we uh, connect uh, the customer to our platform. And that can be done by hardware or by software, whatever the customer prefers. And then whenever the grid operator needs that flexibility they normally send us a signal or we measure it ourselves right. and then uh, we scale up or scale down the electricity demand of the production or the consumption so, right and because they say the furnace is being turned off i as the steel 
planned would receive a financial bonus for that because I have provided that flexibility to the energy market. Yes, correctly. So the beauty of it, of this specific, because it's part of flexibility, there are more ways uh, that you can have flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, and this is part of the flexibility puzzle. And because, for example, flexibility also means that you would consume when the energy prices are lowest. Uh, right. uh, and this is a this is the other part of flexibility. And this is a very easy way for commercial and industrial uh, companies, because first of all, the assets they have at company side uh, get a second purpose. So they are already doing whatever they need to do. And on top of that, they can generate revenue. Um, and then the interruption is normally very low. So it will be seconds. Uh, and if it's going to would be an hour or something like that, depending on which market program, that would really rarely happy, happen in a year. Right. So the, the, your interruption on your primary process is really limited. Whereas where when you shift your consumption based on energy prices, you have to really think about your production process. Right. Would you say that this is comparable to, for example, flexible electricity prices, which we now see on, um, you know, on a household level that we try to steer our behavior there. And it's also in a way a form of flexibility, and, but it's a price signal ultimately. And, you know, uh, once uh, there was recently, um, well, it has happened more and more this year, I would say that, for example, where I live in Sweden, that electricity prices were below zero. So ultimately, I would be financially rewarded to charge my electric vehicle outside. Is that sort of the same idea, but obviously on an industrial scale level to say, look, whenever there is an opportunity for you and to help the, the grid out, so to say, and you're financially rewarded, well, go ahead and do that because it's very low risk for you and it just has upsides ultimately. Is that comparable to sort of what people experience now on a household level? Yes, so that's also flexibility. You're, you're right, Jan. Right. Um, so shifting your demand in time based on prices or based on a need of the grid operator means you are, have a flexible demand and you can shift your demand. So that's all flexibility. Okay, understood. And I know in sort of preparing for this podcast, or I've noticed that you're quite spread across Europe, which is um, almost unusual for uh, a climate and clean tech business. You know, normally you want to look at one market and then you're, you're growing uh, within that market and then you're going to the next. But with Simpower, it seems like you're all over Europe already. So maybe you can um, shine a bit of light of why that is and what's really interesting for you in different markets in Europe? So that's a very good question, Jan, again. Um, so first of all, uh, Simpower does participate in the balancing markets. So the balancing markets are the markets that the grid operator has to stabilize its grid. Um, it's quite a scalable uh, solution we have. So whatever we do in Norway or in Sweden, for example, in the Nordics or Nordics or in the Netherlands, it's quite scalable to other countries. So that's the first reason. I will elaborate a little bit more on that because it's not always that easy because there's still local markets. Right. Um, and second of all, it is um, 
it's just we have seen that uh, you know if you go uh, um, and offer this solution pan-European, you have a competitive advantage because loads of our customers are European companies or even worldwide operating companies. And in that way or this way, they can join uh, one uh, company and be serviced by one company instead of five or six or 12. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for them. Exactly. And is there any market in Europe that you would say was easiest for you or sort of outstanding in terms of how it works? Is there anything that you're able to share or maybe vice versa also is there any market that was particularly hard to to capture yeah so um in general because uh we are quite big in the nordics i would say uh the nordics country sweden specifically and finland uh were relatively easy for us and mm -hmm. uh, the reason for that is uh, in finland we found a customer segment that um, uh, was a match made in heaven. It was greenhouses. Right. And, right. Uh, in Finland. Greenhouses in, in Finland. Finland. Uh, yes. Who would have <laughs> <Okay>. thought? <laughs> There's a lot of space in Finland. <laughs> right. But I mean, normally you would, I mean, um, I don't know if that's uh, appropriate, but you wouldn't really think that greenhouses at scale exist in Finland, given the yeah. climatic and the sun conditions. Yeah, you, you guess guess two. You can you can you can guess two uh, two reasons for that, Jan. What do you think? What drives what drives greenhouses mostly? What, which technology? Well, I would say cheap energy and space yeah. is uh, probably the other part. And then you can replace the sun by what? Mm. By lamps. So uh, we were we are controlling a lot of greenhouses and a lot of uh, uh, not we're not controlling greenhouses, of course, but we uh, we are uh, helping the greenhouse owners to participate in balancing markets with their lamps. Right. And um, so that was that was relatively easy. And in Sweden, we have we work with really strong partners. Um, and uh, that was also, I mean, uh, 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 also a very good a good way of entering that market. Now, what are difficult markets? Um, I would say, I mean, without being condescending, of course, or negative about these markets, is that uh, the most difficult markets for us are where the markets are not shaped in a way that we are allowed or it's possible to, economically possible to, uh, to participate. Right. And um, with uh, with a lot of exceptions, but for example, Southern European um, mm -hmm. countries are less advanced in demand participating mm -hmm. in these balancing markets. They have right. balancing markets, but mostly production units participate. Mm -hmm. Yes, that would be right. the the short the short answer right. to this complicated question. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, and I think it's interesting sort of from looking at it from a European perspective, because I guess um, it links back almost to your uh, biography, right? What we discussed at the start of the podcast, uh, having worked in 18, 18 countries, uh, you then develop an understanding of the local markets, how they function. It's interesting that still all those years down the road, the energy markets in Europe, although we're quite a connected continent in so many ways, still function so completely differently. And as you just pointed out, that it's really easy to apply your technology for greenhouses in Finland, but then you would think, hmm, 
There are also a lot of greenhouses elsewhere in Europe. You could think about Spain, for example. And there, although sort of the same pattern, I would assume, uh, in terms of technology from for food production exists, you can't use your tech in order to balance the grid and uh, bring demand side technologies in. So I think that's that's quite an interesting observation um, yeah. where we are. And it's not so much the, the, the on the customer side. I mean, anyways, yeah. every customer, customers in Finland are definitely different than customers in 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 Spain. Uh, a greenhouse in the Netherlands is differently set up than in uh, in in let's say Spain. Yeah. Uh, but almost every industry has flexibility, um, and we are right. So the 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 beauty of 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 these balancing markets is that um, it is supported by the EU and all markets should have been opened to aggregation by the end of 21. Like everything in the EU, uh, some countries take more time than others. Right. Um, um, and um, yeah, uh, right now also the EU commission is harmonizing uh, the rules for demand response. Uh, to create an extra push for countries to harmonize rules. So if you remember in the beginning of the of the podcast, I told you that I worked in the wind industry. Mm -hmm. And in the wind industry, when you make or produce blades, um, um, you create a lot of work. So a lot of um, labor needs. So whenever a country had plans to build out wind, uh, they wanted a local factory. Now, what it did for uh, the, my previous employer is that you can't have a scale effect because you, right. in theory, then have to build uh, factories all over the world and, um, yeah, small factories, whereas a few big factories make a lot more sense. And this is a little bit where I see the phase uh, we are in in balancing markets is that um if countries don't harmonize their rules and don't learn from each other it means that every country needs a customized mm. approach and that will just right. cost more money and in the end we mm. want a lower cost of energy right and i guess also as we're moving into the area of only renewables uh, sort of it would help us to harmonize grid solutions overall in your right because i guess some countries then produce more wind, some produce more solar. So if we integrate our energy markets more, we collectively benefit from that and lower costs for everyone involved. Exactly. So the biggest advantage of you know unlocking your flexibility in a greater scale is that we allow more renewables on the grid. And in the end, if if so if we continue the way we operate right now um and not balancing demand properly we need uh, overcapacity of production which costs a lot of money we need to expand our grid massively which also costs a lot of money and whereas if you if we all like what you said at the beginning consumers companies are uh willing and want to be flexible in our demand we don't need that fast amount of 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 investments which will just you know have a big and huge impact on all our uh, electricity bills right and i guess that's also something that you know we, we have already seen 
last year with the energy price crisis yeah. that um you know where the willingness or not willingness to pay for energy uh, was tested quite a bit yeah correct in terms of the challenges that you had to overcome uh, over the last years would you say then that it's really the finding the sweet spots of where regulation has been informed or enforced in a way that it allows you and your clients to profitably use flexibility as a measure to stabilize the grid is that sort of what what would that you would you say that's a fair summary of the challenge yes it's a very and fair i guess the slowness yeah. of the i guess the other part is the slowness of regulators and decision makers not to harmonize the uh the process even further which i guess in in a way is also out of your hands unfortunately so um i would say that what you, what we said in the beginning what you summarized really well is that uh, that it will really help if we harmonize rules across these countries uh and you know sometimes we find out that on paper it's really easy to do And then we look into all the details. You need to imagine we have to read sometimes a 500-page document right. from uh, from a uh, from a, a, a new market, and then you find out that how the way it is designed is more for production units and not so much for demand units. And that's not on purpose. That is because we are driven by production all those years, so it's so embedded in our DNA and. Uh, the other one is what you're saying correctly, is that, um, you know, a grid operator, which, I mean, they have such a big job to do. And their job is not only to make sure that uh, SimPower can participate in balancing markets. They are yeah. responsible not, for... Uh, unfortunately, not at the front center, probably. No, and uh, uh, it is, they have, you know, they're... They're responsible for one of our primary uh, needs, which is uh, electricity. It's, you can switch off on your light at night and read a book or watch television. Um, and uh, so their main um, drivers are grid stability, security, and no blackouts. And that is sometimes why it takes a little bit longer. Uh, they have this great um, job ahead in investing in the grid as well. That's why it's sometimes taking longer. So what has been difficult for SimPower is that uh, there were promises, like, for example, the market will open up in 22. And then we gear up and we pack our bags. We find local right. people. Uh, and that's in 21 because we start a year earlier. Yep. And then it's 22, and then it's extended to 24, which of course has a big right. impact uh, on, sure. on the whole uh, on the whole uh, supply chain. Yeah. So and we I need guess... some kind of uh, of outlook and security. Yeah, sure. And I guess the other part that you just mentioned is also why, uh, you know, brings it back to the question we started to touch upon earlier that you have 150 people all across Europe and are in so many different countries. And I guess that is because the regulation and the the rules are so different for each market. And I guess you need native speakers to be able to fully go into the details of uh, the laws and um, the regulations that are there. You just mentioned the 500 pages um, and really understand also the local markets where you have 
uh, local customers, I would assume then again, to really match those two sides and um, yeah, bring about the demand side solutions there. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Understood. Um, well, then let's look ahead. I mean, we sort of look back at where regulation didn't happen. So what's your outlook on the next three to five years? What's going to come? What's going to change? And how will that feel different yes. for everyone involved? So um, we have big growth ambitions and we believe every every uh, megawatt we add to balance the grid is uh, is uh, the road to a more sustainable and more renewable energy grid, right? So we ha- we want to grow. We want to grow from one gigawatt to 10 gigawatt. Um, and we want to expand to more European countries. Um, How many countries are you in? Today? We are in 12. Right. We're in 12. So we're going to expand to 15. And there's mm-hmm. a lot to gain, of course, in all these countries. Sure. Um, and what we also uh, see that what we discussed in the beginning, in the beginning, we discussed that flexibility is broader than um, stabilizing the grid and balancing markets. Yeah. We also look at what else can we offer to unlock more flexibility when we're anyways already at the client side. Um, so we are offering, uh, we are developing and offering more and more flexibility services. And the other big trend that everyone is talking about is batteries. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So I mean, with the <laughs> with the boom of EVs, that would feel very natural to me that um, you look both at the batteries that are in cars, but I guess also stationary batteries outside of cars. So what's your what's your take on batteries? So batteries are. Uh, I mean, I mean, first of all, the energy transition is such a big, such a big uh, transition, and it needs multiple, several solutions. So I normally don't like the discussion on hydrogen versus batteries. Right. I think we need everything. It's integration, uh, right? Exactly, exactly. So again, when I was working in wind, and you have this massive overproduction of wind, and you have a lot of containment, that means. You, if the energy grid is full, you just shut down your uh, wind turbines, which is crazy. We just lose a lot of energy. So, of course, if we can store that energy in batteries, storage is a big uh, batteries and storage is a big uh, is a big solution in the energy transition, I believe. And if we then also can use those batteries, if they are in a wind park or standalone batteries, to balance the grid, that would be, of course, be fantastic. Um, there is a bit of a sometimes a um, a concern from my side mm-hmm. because right now we look at existing assets and those assets are already there and there is no capex needed for example no further investment so it's really recycling of certain assets and then we give a second purpose yeah. now it is grand scale front of the meter batteries these batteries are there to make money from energy markets and balancing markets. So we use all uh, kind of raw materials, rare materials to install batteries, uh, which we can also already do with other assets that are already there. It's a bit more complicated, yes, because you need more assets and bundle them together. Um, But that's sometimes my concern, to be honest. Right. So let me rephrase that. So I'm making sure that I get it right. Instead of, or what's needed from your perspective is ultimately just bringing more intelligence to the market, right? By connecting the different 
assets that we already have and playing to their strength. And as you said, giving them a second purpose, almost a second life to the one that they're already living. So you can use them for multiple purposes. But what we're seeing now is that we're investing all that time and energy and especially money into batteries to create an additional solution. And obviously they also come at a price that I think is often discussed in media, for example, around sort of the sustainability of um, batteries and the supply chains around it. And if we look at, again, the wider picture, something that we discussed also quite a bit over the last year when it comes to uh, dependencies of supply chains, you know, those raw materials don't come out of Europe at the moment. So I think that's, I guess, the other notion that you're trying to say that we're creating those um, solutions that come come at a price, whether it might be sustainability or sort of supply chain security as well. Correctly. Um, and on top of that, I think those raw materials and rare materials uh, and batteries, we need batteries. Now, these standalone batteries and uh, the war of uh, raw materials, so to say, mm -hmm. is against EV, uh, against batteries in cars, against batteries at the wind farm, where you really capture the electricity. So we don't have countless and numerous uh, amount of resources. So that's sometimes where my concern is. But again, right. I think we need all solutions. And there is a place for all solutions. Um, and like, you know, I mean, you, you, I know, Jan, that you did a lot of podcasts in sustainability as well. And in the end, if it's a fair price and we look at really end to end price and a fair price, so transportation costs included, CO2 included, then the best solution would, of course, use existing assets to do that work. Yeah, I think it's a really fair point. And I guess it, for me, breaks down the point of intelligence once more um i've spoken recently to someone else who said look we ultimately already have all the solutions to fight the climate crisis to solve the climate crisis and even you know when we talk about what you mentioned before the sun doesn't always shine the wind doesn't always blow we can solve that already now with the existing solutions we just need to roll them out at massive scale and connect all the different puzzle pieces that we have and i think again this also brings me back to what I said before around the price signals on a household level. Um, I think it's quite an interesting shift, you know, from when I was younger, only consuming electricity at whatever time of the day. And now looking at uh, the app, the 24 hours in advance to see when our electricity price is really low. Uh, and when do my solar panels on the roof produce electricity? And can I use those two factors combined to really maximize uh, or to to smartly optimize my energy consumption in a way that it's best for the climate and uh, my own pocket. And I think that real shift is starting right now. And that's really exciting. Yeah. Yes. I believe so too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've just started to touch on the, uh, my more personal base. So maybe towards the end of our conversation, um, let's go back to where we started. So in the beginning, you shared that uh, you, you know, your personal hobbies are in in surfing and skiing. So looking at at those, and I guess those are two hobbies where you really feel the the change uh, of climate as well, I guess, especially with skiing, but then also uh, with uh, the water and the oceans needed. It's not just the, the climate crisis, it's more the 
a sustainability crisis overall, probably. What makes you get up in the morning to fight those issues? Because you could also just stay in bed, I guess, and um, uh, think about those crises and be like, oh, that, that's a lot. Uh, you know, what am I going to do about this today? So what makes you get out of bed? So first of all, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> right. Something that we get in common. <laughs> But then really contributing to a fossil fuel energy system. Uh, I I really want to do everything to contribute to that. Well, that's a really good and pointed answer. Um, and I'm happy. Maybe, maybe, you know, this is the secret sauce uh, to overcome the climate crisis, coffee, and then wanting to fight the climate crisis, those two together. <laughs> uh, real force. Sustainable coffee. <laughs> Sustainably sourced coffee. Exactly. Fair trade. Exactly. Well, Miriam, it was lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much for walking me through the complicated um, energy market. And uh, I don't, you know, I think it's quite a, it, it, as you said, you know, the, the regulations are so difficult and the puzzle pieces are so many, but when we all bring it together and really create this flexibility puzzle, whether then it's um, existing assets, uh, batteries coming into play, I think this really fascinates me and it was lovely talking to you to get your insights and how we can bring about change that both protects and uh, the climate reduces emission and also has a financial benefit for everyone involved. Well, thank you, Jan, likewise. Well, thank you so much for today and speak soon.